Part one, chapter two of If All These Young Men by Romer Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part one, Berkshire, chapter two, Noon Sleeper. The town was as empty as on Sunday, for everybody had gone away into the country. Every park, every pond, every grassy spot and waterway within reasonable distance of london was covered with men women and children to whom the green grass was a luxury and the lanes transformed into paradise were as full of lovers as they could hold all the houses in carrington were empty and the ruined cottages upon carrington waste seemed to be the first ruins of a deserted town overhead the clouds drifted in the blue march sky before a wind that filled the deserted streets with whiteness the white sunshine turned the crude posters on the hoarding surrounding the waste to patches of delicate colours and the smoked bricks of the houses to pink and yellow stones in the street butterflies of waste paper fluttered up and down and in a place near the gutter lay the sluggish yellow body of a banana skin upon the waste green grass was shooting up through the soot and broken bricks seven cabbages in a plot were unfolding their leaves and a creeping jinny on the broken-down house was again attempting to overcome the dirty walls and reach the upper story where a figured wallpaper was exposed to the rain and wind by the fall of the front of the house in mousewold street by which the waste was bordered on the south there was neither cat nor dog to lap the bright blue puddles of rainwater or to chase the paper insects no black mouser ran across the open spaces after sparrows or sat in the bread-shop window waiting for the return of the baker and his family cats had been exterminated in those parts when food became scarce and now only the ghosts of stray cats filled the dark waste with cries at midnight and flitted across carrington road in front of trams at noon carrington lay south of the river and though surrounded on every side by slums and streets of dirty houses might have been on the outskirts of cambridge or nottingham rather than in london mousewold street itself resembled a country lane its clay surface was full of ruts and holes grass grew along the gutters and the houses on either side were set at irregular intervals they were all dilapidated and dirty with the exception of a long low row of model flats that had only recently been erected mr sebastian hunt stood at the window of one of the flats gazing out at the panorama of houses upon the far side of the waste the short blue curtains at the window gave the morning light that poured in from the north a blue quality which casting a blue reflection over the young man's face made him appear to have come into modern times out of a picture of sainted italian clergy he was very tall and emaciated and his long body clothed in a warm brown suit might from the way he held himself have been as full of holes as that of his patron the martyr sebastian his pipe was in his mouth which was small and definitely marked and surrounded with a pale border before the dun blush of the shaven beard and moustache began his chin was long his cheekbones high and his nose large and on it rested a pair of horn spectacles he had a high white forehead and his head behind it was thinly covered with brown hair from the look upon his face he seemed to have been standing at the window a considerable time and to be in a condition of extreme exhaustion owing to his thoughts which at this point left him he was entirely exhausted and slept for a minute at the window without knowing that he did so he awakened sighed and began to look troubled and uneasy 
but becoming again suffocated with sleep moved and threw himself on his new blue sofa in order to try and find repose now that he was upon his back however he could not sleep so that he picked up a volume of thomas hardy's poems that lay on the floor and opening it at random began to read at first the words conveyed nothing to his mind and served only as a vehicle for his deep feelings which he could no longer be troubled to bring to thought but so often had he read these poems that soon his mind began to run along the same channels as before and he revisited scenes that he knew as well as the scenes around him mr hunt's youth had not been very happy from the earliest times he had been at odds with humanity and had found society contrived so as to inflict upon him the greatest possible inconvenience his childhood had been full of sinister and ugly shadows that crept out of nowhere and cast gloom over his heart from his youth he had liked poetry ease luxury and even profligate pleasures but he had been birched into the playing field and seen his shelley and swinburne thrown into the waste-paper basket his early and desperate passions had found no noble or fine response and at nineteen he had thought death the most desirable of the few states open to him all his life for twenty-seven years poverty and ill-health had been his share nature was his only solace he got from trees and fens and hills and meadows the response that he could not evoke from men and women and his passionate nature expended its forces in adoration of the tender and majestic beauty of the hills and valleys of england first he loved england and then he loved his new home in the model flats of carrington and apart from these he only cared for everett sharp but at present all his emotions except the primitive passions of earth and sun worship were exhausted through the war in which he could take no part the room in which he lay was small and clean two good japanese colour prints hung upon the cream-coloured walls a grey hair carpet covered the floor and around the walls stood his dearest personal friends that knew his secret personality but were to strangers only a few pieces of mahogany furniture and a case of books the two windows in the room both faced north but it was a cheerful and a pleasant place and owing partly to the light colour of the walls and partly to the affection which was lavished upon it it did not possess that cave-like atmosphere peculiar to rooms never visited by the sun it overlooked the whole of the waste and this combined with the chastity of its appearance led one to believe that carrington was indeed cambridge and that not far off the river of byron and rupert brooke wound under the smelly woods of grandchester and wandered away past the drooping willows of king's college under clare bridge and out into the lonely fens of the isle of ely after reading for about ten minutes sebastian hunt let the book fall from his hand for his eyes were tired with work and his senses were exhausted by the war which seemed to-day to drag his heart and mind out of him and he could no longer see nor understand the words to-night he was going down to his old cottage at east newton under the downs where he was to remain for full six days the luxurious memory of the country crept over him and took his thoughts away and he began to dream vaguely of the familiar berkshire landscape and then to nod slightly with the oncoming of true somnolence automatically his hand went up to remove his reading spectacles and to rub his eyelids after which performance he yawned threw his head back upon the cushions of the sofa and fell into a noonday sleep end of chapter two recording by expatriate in bangor maine